Blog Talk Radio. I'm Robert Rogers, and welcome to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. Parkinson's Recovery is the show to hear if you and your family members are interested in finding ideas of what you can do to get sustained relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's and perhaps even reverse those symptoms permanently. How about that? The event of the decade for individuals currently experiencing symptoms of Parkinson's is the 2012 Parkinson's Recovery Summit to be held in Cincinnati, Ohio on June the 22nd and June the 23rd. I say the event of the year and the event of the decade for that matter. 18 of my prior guests on radio shows will be offering hour and a half workshops at the summit this year. It's going to be an amazing event and an amazing experience for all of those who've elected to participate. People are coming to the summit. People are coming to the summit from Europe, from across Canada, from almost all states in the United States, and from Mexico. So we're going to have representatives from almost every state who can take the information back to your own Parkinson's communities. Information about the summit, if you haven't yet got the heads up, is at the summit website, which is www.summit.parkinsonsrecovery.com. And so that's P-A-R-K-I-N-S-O-N-S-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y.com. You can get also information by calling our toll-free number which is 877-526-4646. Or, of course, you can also email me, Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, at parkinsonsrecovery.com. My guest today is actually internationally famous for many reasons. Dr. Terry Walls, who is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. This is a pre-recorded interview since Dr. Walls was really unable to be with us live today on our show, which is actually during the daytime when she has her medical responsibilities to attend to. I'll now play the first segment of this incredible interview. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. My special guest today is Dr. Terry Walls. Terry Walls, tell us all about yourself. Okay. So I'm an internal medicine doc. I'm a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where I teach medical students and residents in their primary care clinics. I see patients in their traumatic brain injury clinics, and I conduct clinical research. Um, My story, though, is probably most remarkable in that I have developed a chronic disease, uh, multiple sclerosis. I was diagnosed in 2000. Uh, and I, uh, being an academic doc, got the best care from the very best people. I uh, went out to the Cleveland Clinic, in fact, and took the latest, newest drugs. Still, by 2003, my disease had transitioned to secondary progressive MS, a disease uh, phase that is much more resistant to therapy. I uh, took the recommended chemotherapy. I got a tilt-recline wheelchair. I took Tizabri and then Celsept but continued to decline. 
uh, and at that point, it uh, appeared to me that conventional medicine was failing me, that I was headed towards becoming bedridden, uh, disabled, and eventually a nursing home resident. Uh, and that's when I began uh, deciding I needed to take more personal responsibility for my disease. And I also decided to begin reading the basic science uh, literature because I knew uh, the findings in basic science are usually 10 to 30 years ahead of clinical practice. And so I began reading. Uh, and I started reading about the animal models of other diseases in which brains shrink because I knew people with MS, over time, uh, their brains and their spinal cords shrink. So I read about the animal models of multiple sclerosis, the animal models of Parkinson's disease, uh, of Huntington's disease, and of Alzheimer's. I saw that in all three conditions, the mitochondria did not work particularly well, leading to early death of brain cells and shrinking brains. With more searching, I found uh, studies in which mouse brains and the mitochondria had been protected using uh, various vitamins uh, and supplements. I began taking those vitamins and supplements, uh, and the speed of my decline slowed, uh, but I was still declining. Uh, then I discovered an organization called the Institute for Functional Medicine, and uh, they had a continuing medical education course, neuroprotection, a functional medicine approach for common and uncommon neurological syndromes. So I ordered that course uh, and uh, studied it going over and over and over uh, the material. I learned more brain biology and what I could do to protect mine. Uh, and then I, I had a much longer list of vitamins and supplements, uh, which I added. And then I had you know, uh, probably an even more uh, substantial epiphany. I decided that I should not be relying on synthetic vitamins and supplements, but I should take this long list of nutrients, figure out where they were in the food supply, and reshape my diet so I was getting this long list from food. And so I created this new plan, uh, which I now call the, uh, the Walls Diet. It's uh, based on a, a hunter-gatherer diet, but the food groups are designed to maximize those important brain nutrients. And uh, after doing that, um, within three months of starting this uh, new food plan, I was able to walk using one cane between exam rooms. At five months, I could walk throughout the hospital without a cane. I still had a limp, but I no longer needed my cane. And uh, nine months after starting this, I was able to bicycle 18 miles with my family. The following year, I could do a Canadian trail ride out in the Canadian Rockies. Uh, and then uh, the following year, I had uh, written a protocol uh, and had secured uh, funding so I could begin doing a clinical trial, testing uh, these same interventions I used in that first year in others with progressive MS. Uh, and we, uh, in fact, presented that preliminary data at the 2011 uh, Neuroscience Conference in Washington, D.C. So uh, a pretty amazing story. Uh, and now, you know, grateful to have my life back, I'm out uh, teaching uh, the medical community about the healing power of food. I'm lecturing the public, writing books, and uh, trying to spread the message of the critical role of food in disease and in health. 
How are all of your discoveries then specifically applicable to individuals currently experiencing Parkinson's? Your experience has been MS. Does it transfer over to Parkinson's too? Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, keep in mind, when I first began reading, I was reading and designing my interventions based on animal models of Parkinson's disease and Huntington's disease. And certainly from uh, what I read, uh, the mitochondria are, play a very, very important role in basically all brain disorders. And so learning how to eat to make your mitochondria as efficient as possible will help people with Parkinson's. It will certainly help anyone with um, any kind of early memory decline, uh, people with mood problems, uh, emotional problems. Uh, all of them uh, often have uh, evidence that the mitochondria do not work well. You know, when we look at uh, science is getting a better and better understanding at a molecular level what's gone wrong uh, in many of our uh, chronic diseases. And in all these conditions, we, we find that they're all very, very similar. The mitochondria do not work well, and there's too many inflammation molecules. So when I look down the list of brain disorders where we have mitochondria that are not working very well, uh, we end up with Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, Huntington's, uh, that's also true. Uh, then we have mood disorders, uh, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, uh, chronic headache, epilepsy. In all of them, the mitochondria are a problem. And, and also, in all of them, uh, there are too many inflammation molecules. And diet is key uh, for both of these, whether your mitochondria work well or whether you have too much inflammation in your body. Almost most of the people and the listeners are familiar with dopamine, but not all are familiar with mitochondria. Can you give just a simple explanation of what that is? Oh, sure. So every cell in our body will have uh, many mitochondria, sometimes hundreds, even thousands of mitochondria uh, in that cell. And the mitochondria are sort of like the energy processing and storage facility. So and it's the uh, energy that the mitochondria will process and store that allow the cell to do the biochemistry of life. You see, you and I are alive because of chemistry. When the chemistry stops, we're dead. When the chemistry is happening improperly, because we lack the vitamins, minerals, essential fats, antioxidants, the building blocks to do those chemical reactions, the reactions either do not happen at all or they happen improperly. Structures don't get made or get made incorrectly, and we begin the long, slow process of deteriorating, uh, we, our blood vessels slowly get stiff, our brains slowly become befuddled, our hearts uh, slowly become weaker, and we set the stage then over chronic disease that will take years to decades to develop. But it all begins, every one of our chronic diseases begin with incorrect biochemistry. And that incorrect biochemistry nearly always begins with missing key building blocks. And that all comes down to food. You mentioned earlier that you 
shifted your approach from taking supplements to the dietary approach. Yes. Uh, And many people and listeners to the program have a whole cabinet full of supplements that they take every day. Are you recommending that the shift would be in everybody's best interest? Well, the supplements are, uh, many of them are going to be made of synthetic vitamins uh, in a uh, vitamin that's man-made or uh, made through some sort of processing is not the same uh, vitamin antioxidant that is found in the food that we eat. And I find it very interesting. When I relied on pills, uh, synthetic vitamins, supplements, I was able to slow the speed of my descent, and I was profoundly grateful. Now, I I still do take some targeted vitamins and supplements. I have not stopped them. But it was when I redesigned my food plan around uh, the Paleolithic diet and designed it so that I was getting in my food that list of 45 different key brain nutrients that this stunning rate of recovery occurred. So supplements uh, may be helpful, but most of them are synthetic, many of them made in China, whose quality we don't really know. They may be of some benefit, but at least for me, the magic occurs when I did the food plan. If for some reason I have to, uh, I can't eat the way I want to eat, my energy uh, plummets. I'm likely to have a flare of horrific uh, face pain from my MS. So, from my personal experience, food is critical is the most critical. We'll be right back with Dr. Terry Walls after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. You are listening to a pre-recorded interview with Dr. Terry Walls, who is clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. Dr. Walls had been diagnosed with MS in the year 2000 and has been able to have a miraculous recovery using food as a way for her recovery. This particular interview then has invited her to transfer over all of her discoveries to individuals who happen to currently be experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. In the next segment of this interview, I'm going to be asking questions that were emailed to me that I'd be sure and ask Dr. Walls. Dr. Walls, I have a list of questions that listeners have submitted, so I want to go down those one by one. The first is from Loretto. I just saw Dr. Wall's video about food. What do you do if you are vegetarian? I do not eat meat or fish. Where can I get my protein, according to her diet for Parkinson's or MS? This is a question I get very, very commonly. Uh, My advice uh, for the vegetarians is to look very carefully at why you're choosing to not eat meat. When I review the uh, medical literature, the vitamin B12 is only present in animal sources. And without any B12, one can't make the proper brain structures. And problems with memory, with balance, uh, will occur, which can be uh, quite profound. 
And when we look at uh, societies from a medical anthropology standpoint, as societies have moved from being hunter-gatherers to a agricultural-based society, uh, that those people become shorter. They are much more likely to have problems with tuberculosis, with crooked teeth and missing teeth, um, smaller brains, and uh, arthritis uh, involving uh, their joints. I, I interpret that to indicate a healthier diet is one that uh, includes some form of animal protein. And because uh, the hunter-gatherers and foragers had adapted their diet to each locality, that diet can be quite varied in the amount of animal proteins, uh, and sometimes those animal proteins are uh, in insect, larvae, worms, uh, sometimes they're in fish, sometimes uh, they're in meat. For the person who elects to be or continues to not eat any meat or animal protein, uh, their hazards are becoming uh, severely vitamin B12 deficient. Uh, They're more likely to have too many uh, starches in their bowels and promoting the sugar and starch-loving bacteria uh, growing in their bowels, which can increase the probability of uh, cancers, uh, autoimmune problems, uh, obesity, diabetes, uh, heart disease. Uh, So I advocate uh, having animal proteins. Uh, There's another problem with uh, grains and legumes, and uh, that has to do with the lectins, which are a type of uh, sugar protein that can confuse our biology as well. Uh, And to uh, cope with that or to decrease that, uh, some of our ancient societies would uh, soak the grains and the legumes uh, and sprout them for 48 to 96 hours. And that will decrease the lectins. It will decrease the carbohydrate burden somewhat. So if someone is, uh, uh, for their own spiritual beliefs, cannot uh, eat consumed meat, uh, then I recommend doing the sprouted uh, grain, uh, sprouted legume route. There are no studies that compare the uh, vegetarian uh, diet and the paleo diet or the uh, uh, whole grain legumes and and, uh, paleo diet. I have written grants proposing to do just that, Uh, We haven't gotten the funding scores yet, so I don't know if I'll be able to uh, do such a study or not. But that will be an excellent study, and I'm hopeful that at some point we'll be able to answer that question more precisely. The next question comes from Patricia. Finally, someone who thinks like me. For years I have wondered if Daya didn't have something to do with Parkinson's disease. I can't wait to listen to that radio show. I do have a question for her about oils, specifically organic virgin coconut oil. I have recently read a lot about it being very good for patients with multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. Does she have any information on the best oils for MS or PD? So uh, fish oils and cod liver oil. So let me back up. Uh, traditional societies uh, in the far north, uh, the Inuit, uh, 
the Scandinavians, uh, the Icelands, would uh, ferment uh, cod liver oil, which is very rich in vitamin A, vitamin D, and uh, eicosapentaenoic acid, dicosahexanoic acid. Uh, now, the vitamin A, vitamin D are very important for bone and immune cell health. The eicosapentaenoic acid, dicosahexanoic acid, those are EPA and DHA, are very important structurally to make myelin and to make brain structures. For the vast majority of uh, those following a westernized diet, we have far too uh, small of a consumption of EPA, DHA, and far too high of a consumption of omega-6 fats. So I encourage people to have more fish, more uh, EPA, DHA. You could take fish oil, you could take cod liver oil. If you use the vegetarian source, which is uh, flax oil, uh, hemp oil, walnut oil, your body can convert about 5% of that omega-3 version of the vegetarian source of omega-3 to the EPA, DHA. Um, But it's very slow, it's relatively inefficient. And you have to consume far more flax oil than you would have to uh, consume of the uh, fish oil. We we take far too much omega-6 oils, and those are from uh, vegetable oils. Corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil, and even olive oil has more omega-6 than what I'd like to see people have because it's the ratio between omega-3 and omega-6 that you'd like to have to be one-to-one. So you got to get rid of uh, really greatly, greatly reduce uh, all this vegetable oil, fried foods, and processed foods. Coconut oil is a median chain triglyceride, and that's readily absorbed. Uh, when my body uh, digests that, that will not interfere with my omega-3, omega-6 ratio, and it is fueled to make something called uh, uh, ketones which actually is a very efficient fuel for my brain. Uh, The people who treated children with severe refractory seizures found that a diet that promotes a lot of ketones, called the ketogenic diet, to be very helpful. And coconut oil is a large part of that diet. Uh, In our study, we certainly encourage the use of uh, extra virgin coconut oil, I discourage the use of processed vegetable oils. I prefer uh, uh, to fry nothing in a vegetable oil because that increases trans fats. Judith asked the following question. I've seen this video, that's the TED video, and it's quite wonderful. Dr. Walls uses an enormous amount of raw vegetables in her presentation. Is it okay to consume them steamed, sautéed, or juiced? I do try to eat as much green vegetables and colored fruit and vegetables as I can, especially after seeing her presentation. It is hard some days to have so much food around unless I go shopping all the time. But I do love vegetables and fruit, and I'm inspired to eat even more after her TED Talk. But her question really is then, can she alter them into making them steamed, sautéed, or juiced? So when the uh, food is consumed raw, uh, for the two and a half million 
years that species had been around, probably the vast majority of that time, we ate everything raw. Uh, cooking uh, uh, has it certainly uh, did occur, and that does predigest the food to some degree. When you uh, steam things, you break the cells' walls down, and so you can extract more nutrition uh, out of that food. However, uh, there's always a cost to that. Uh, when food is raw, the biologic activity of those enzymes and compounds is intact. When we heat them, we change the shape of some of those enzymes and proteins, and so some of the biologic activity is lost. As we uh, cook uh, vegetables, for example, if you cook them more than two minutes, you've lost about 30% uh, of the vitamin, water-soluble vitamin content. So in general, um, I like to have at least half of my vegetables raw. Um, I know some people like to juice. That um, in you can uh, juice absorb more of the uh, enzymes intact, but you lose the fiber, and the bowel, the bacteria that live in our bowels. If you want to have the healthiest mix of bacteria. You'd like to have 50 to 100 grams of fiber every day. So every time you juice things and throw away all that fiber, you're starving out some of your good bacteria. My personal preference is to use uh, a high-powered blender such as a Vitamix or a Healthmaster to... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the whole vegetable, the whole fruit, add some water, add some ice, put it through high, make a uh, smoothie out of that. I I have ruptured the cell wall so I can absorb more of the nutrients. I've saved all of the fiber so I can grow more of the healthy bacteria. And to me, that is the very best of both worlds. If you fry your food, so the higher the temperature the food uh, is cooked at, the more you've used up some of the chemical reactions that your cells and mitochondria wanted to use, and the more nutrients you will have lost. We'll be right back with Dr. Walls after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. A heads up for the individuals who out there listening who have signed up and are planning on participating and attending the Parkinson's Recovery Summit in Cincinnati, June 22nd and 23rd. The hotel is full. All of the events will be held at the Garfield Suites Inn in downtown Cincinnati. There are many, many hotels within a block or two distance from this hotel, which is centrally located. I want everybody to know, however, that the hotel personnel informed me that somewhere around May 20th or May 21st, and also probably in June, they're likely to release more rooms to our Parkinson's recovery block. Apparently, there are several other groups that blocked out some rooms, and they're not going to be able to uh, take them in time. 
we are. I told them we could fill up the hotel, I thought, but of course we've got to work with the other groups that already reserved. So I'd suggest that you make a reservation at another hotel just so you'll be sure to have a good close place to stay. One hotel that was recommended to me is called the Millennium, which is only a couple of blocks away. There's also a historic hotel called the Cincinnatian that's quite magnificent. That's also a possibility. It also is uh, several blocks away. We're going to now uh, uh, return to my interview with Dr. Terry Walls, and I want to just give a preliminary heads up. She does caution everyone who's going to make some changes to your diet to be sure and consult with your medical doctor about any changes that you're going to actually make. It's very well known that protein impacts the effects of cinnamon and other Parkinson's medications. So be sure to take that recommendation seriously. If you're persuaded by her arguments here, the next step would be to have a serious discussion with your medical doctor, with your nutritional counselor, and or with your compounding pharmacist. And now, doctor, back to Dr. Terry Walls. My next question comes from Paul, who asks, what can I do about very low blood pressure in the morning? It fluctuates between 78 over 40, sometimes lower, and the highest, 102 over 60. Okay, so this is a statement I probably should have started by a whole conversation with, is that, you know, um, I, I give education, I give uh, a public health uh, message. Uh, so all of the statements I make in my presentations, at my website, uh, on my book, are education. It, none of this is intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In the United States, only uh, U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration approved drugs, diets, devices can make such claims. All I can do is gives general education. So I'm going to reframe this question into, you know, but I, I've got low blood pressure. What do I need to do? Uh, and what I have to uh, counsel that person is to work with their personal physician uh, to understand what is going on and why, uh, and they may make uh, some changes. Uh, the most common change that I see is an increase in the salt uh, intake, uh, and often uh, using uh, sea salt uh, to increase the amount of salt and mineral intake. But again, this is a very specific question that needs to be discussed with the individual's personal physician. The next question comes from Bonnie. Did she take any medications during the course of her disease? Oh, yes. I love that question. So I'm an internal medicine doc. Um, for years, I thought anyone doing complementary and alternative medicine was uh, wasting their money. Uh, so when I was diagnosed, I was a very conventional uh, medicine kind of approach. I uh, researched to find what I thought was the very best MS center in the country and uh, went to the Cleveland Clinic saw the best people, and really took the latest, newest drugs. I uh, decided to take uh, Copaxone, and uh, you know I did extraordinarily well. I had one acute episode of worsening that's called a relapse uh, in three years, and since all of these drugs we give for MS, the whole goal is to decrease the number of relapses. Having only one relapse in three years would be considered like a phenomenal success. Uh, 
except I had continued to decline. And so my uh, docs told me I had secondary progressive. Uh, they told me to take Novantrone, a type of cancer chemotherapy. I uh, Then uh, when Tizabri was available, I took uh, Tizabri, which is a very expensive uh, sort of designer drug that really shuts down the immune system. I took that for a couple of months. Uh, then it was pulled from the market. And so I switched to a drug called Cellcept which is uh, another immune-suppressing drug. And for multiple sclerosis, all of the drug options, the disease-modifying options, are drugs that block uh, the immune system. They're a type of poison. So, of course, you feel worse taking the drug, but the presumption is since your immune cells can't attack you as much, that in the balance, your disease will be less active. I also took ProVigil, to uh, deal with my fatigue, and uh, ProVigil improves fatigue ever so slightly, um, but, you know, it's the best that's available. Uh, and I took um, some drugs, uh, baclofen and uh, gabapentin, for uh, the horrific levels of MS pain that I have. As I recovered... I discovered that I couldn't sleep. And uh, then it occurred to me that, well, it was time to start backing off the provigil now that I was so uh, remarkably uh, improved. So I gradually, with my uh, physician's uh, super, uh, blessing, I was able to taper and uh, discontinue my uh, provigil. And, you know, I'm doing extremely well. I'm biking. Uh, and I decide that uh, without to gradually, slowly take myself off the cell set, uh, which I did and uh, continue to do very well. Uh, in my clinical practice, when I see people in my traumatic brain injury clinics and my primary care clinics, you know, folks with uh, heart disease, diabetes, di- diabetes uh, obesity, mood problems, as we teach them how to follow uh, the Walls diet, get them uh, improving. Uh, and what happens is that the body will slowly replace all those broken down, poorly made molecules, incorrectly made molecules, with correctly made molecules over the next three to seven years as the person now eats for health. Uh, what we see in the clinic is the need for medicine slowly diminishes, and we are very often able to slowly uh, decrease and then eliminate uh, many medicines. Uh, you have a lot of folks call me uh, or try and reach out to me asking, could they stop their drugs and start the diet? And uh, I, first I tell them, uh, you always have to work with your personal doc. You stay on your drugs. Be sure your doc knows that you want to start this diet and have a conversation about uh, food, drugless interactions. Be sure that your doc knows what you're doing and can uh, guide you, personalize things. And then as you hopefully recover and as your body begins to rebuild itself, then you can negotiate with your physician as you're feeling better, stronger, healthier, which medications you could potentially decrease and then someday eliminate. But you never want to do this uh, on your own. And you don't want to start a new diet without talking to your doc, 
because there are some important food-drug interactions that your doc may need to warn you about. Bonnie also asked, is anyone doing any research for Parkinson's using the hunter-gatherer diet? Uh, not to my knowledge. Um, and you know, People have asked, would I please do a study like this in Alzheimer's, in uh, uh, Parkinson's, and, and in a wide variety of health-related problems. Well, I'm, I am open to being on the study team uh, as part of the study team with uh, another lead scientist whose area of expertise is Parkinson's. Um, one can only be PI for a small handful of studies because it's such a labor-intensive project. I do have a colleague uh, with an interest in Parkinson's, and he and I have been in some conversations about just that, however. Uh, you know, and I, I have a number of colleagues with Parkinson's uh, here at the university uh, who have uh, talked with me informally, and I know they're following uh, the Walls diet. And so far, uh, the feedback I'm getting is that they found it to be quite helpful in reducing their symptoms. But, you know, that's anecdotal. It's, it's not a clinical trial. Um, but, you know, the hunter-gatherer diet tastes great, and uh, it's certainly something I would encourage people to talk to their physician about and consider exploring that. We have a question from Kai who really wants some specifics. Uh, she uh, says, I would be curious to hear about a typical weekly diet she is using or where one could read about that. So uh, uh, a couple of great resources. One is my website, terrywalls.com. That's T-E-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com. If they go to the community resources page, uh, there are there's a forum where people can uh, talk about how adopting the Walls diet has affected their lives, and uh, the uh, another uh, pages for recipes because a lot of people are asking, you know, how how do they begin preparing this food? Uh, there's also my book Minding My Mitochondria, which talks about what I, what I did and provides more guidance uh, on the diet. Uh, and those are uh, some of the best resources. Now, I'll, I'll walk you through a typical day for me. Uh, so in the morning, I will have what I call my detox smoothie, which is coconut milk and berries or coconut milk uh, and beets, for example, uh, and a variety of spices, and I rotate through my spices, and I rotate through what uh, berries or beets uh, that I'm going to add. I will have uh, some sorts of protein, uh, either some leftover meat from the night before or some jerky. Right now I'm having uh, uh, venison jerky. Uh, and then in the evening I'll have, uh, so tonight's menu will be uh, lamb chops, uh, asparagus, uh, a salad, uh, bok choy salad, and then we'll have uh, fresh strawberries for dessert. Uh, and then I will make uh, some sweet, uh, sleepy time tea, uh, a, a combination of sleepy time tea and rup the red uh, South African tea, I'd say called the Rubus tea. 
And you know, that's a very typical pattern for me is uh, jerky in a smoothie for breakfast, more of the same for lunch, uh, and then some type of meat or fish, uh, a vegetable, a uh, salad, and a piece of fruit for dessert. Where can people get your book? So if you go to uh, the Amazon, uh, and the book comes in uh, large print and in small print, and we're, I'm using the proceeds from that book to fund the next study. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, today I had a uh, meeting with my uh, senior scientist, and we're uh, talking about the study design for the next study, which uh, because my current study involves secondary progressive multiple sclerosis patients. The next study we're going to involve uh, relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis patients, and uh, we'll do a comparison of people following the Swank diet versus following the Walls diet, uh, and then after the three or six months, we will take the Swank diet followers and flip them over to the Walls diet. And we'll be following a bunch of biomarkers. We'll follow quality of life and uh, how long, how far the person can walk uh, in six minutes. So, uh, you know, my, my study is so uh, radical in that it's, it's very comprehensive. We, we do nutrition, we do targeted uh, supplements, we do exercise. Uh, and all of these, uh, this is so comprehensive that at the end, we won't know which of the uh, interventions or which molecules made the difference. But our, you know, our preliminary data is breathtaking. However, the NIH is used to doing studies in the basic sciences molecule by molecule, so I think we'll have a hard time getting the National Institutes of Health to fund this, uh, my next study. And likewise, the MS Society will also have uh, difficulty funding the study. Therefore, I, you know, I'm, I am presuming that we have to fund the study ourselves, and we have to fund it with grassroots organizations. To that end, we're using the proceeds from the book to uh, uh, fund the next level of study, and we've created something called the Walls Foundation uh, to help raise funds for uh, research and education. Uh, with the intent of being able to collect more pilot data and to continue this work. Uh, and to let you know, the, the kinds of budgets that we're talking about to do these studies, uh, uh, this kind of study, it, it's a hundred to $200,000 to do studies uh, of this type. Yeah. This is, you know, science is not cheap. And so is there, the Walls Foundation has a website where people actually could make direct contributions to support this work? Absolutely. And, and so you can go to the Walls Foundation. So T-H-E, Walls, W-A-H-L-S, foundation.com. Uh, on our front page, there's a place where you can do a direct deposit. You can mail us a check. If you go to terrywalls.com, there's a research page, and we have a link there as well. Uh, and the uh, the funds that we've raised so far have 
uh, allowed us to begin to do some of the mo uh, more sophisticated molecular analyses uh, of uh, inflammatory markers, cytokines, uh, genetics, to help us begin to explain how the molecules have changed before and after uh, our study interventions. Because science is going to require that I have uh, mechanisms behind what is, why is it people are getting better. And to be able to uh, explain that, I'm, I'm going to have to do some pretty sophisticated uh, analyses. Well, in my book of study designs, your design is absolutely spectacular. <laughs> I want you to know, Dr. Walls. Well, you know, I, I think when you, get, when you have bad diseases, you want to fix as many of the broken uh, chemistries, the broken physiologies that you can, because the, bo you know, the body is incredibly complicated. If you look at the moon study, uh, pardon me, the moon travel or the Mars travel, uh, there's always many redundancies in all of the critical steps. So if something fails, you have a backup. You have multiple backups. In your biology and in my biology, there are multiple backups to every important step in our biology. When we have a disease, there are a lot, many, 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 many broken parts. And so... It, to me, it makes such obvious sense that the most effective therapies to bad diseases is never going to be a single molecule, a single intervention, but it will be the intervention that addresses many, many broken steps, broken parts, to allow the system to have more reserve, more correct biology going on, and uh, people slowly improve. You know, and in my clinical trial here, not everyone's improving. But 8 out of 10 are, are showing very positive uh, responses. Um, and, you know, and, and we're early. We are, we're going to follow people for three years. Uh, what, I, what I can see is quality of life improves early. Fatigue improves early. People report subjectively that their thinking and mental clarity improves. Uh, the ability to walk. Uh, now, not everyone is having the dramatic level of change that I had. Um, but we are seeing some people that are having uh, very remarkable change. Probably for the, the majority, it's a very slow, steady, step-by-step uh, -step improvement. Your recovery clearly has been remarkable. Are you fully recovered today? No, I am not. Um, I So I can uh, bike to work and back. I can uh, walk a mile without any problem. If I walk more than a mile, I'm going to be tired. I could probably do two miles slowly, but then I'd be really beat. I can stand for an hour in lecture. I could stand for two hours in lecture, but then I'm going to be... Uh, absolutely need to sit down. I'll be wiped out. Um, I can climb two or three flights slowly. Uh, I, and just, uh, you know, in the last couple months, I've been able to jog around my backyard. I can now do three laps. Uh, so my observation is that I'm continuing to steadily, 
slowly improve. I still work with a physical therapist who uh, advances my exercise programs. I'm doing strength training uh, every other day. I'm doing aerobic training uh, every day. I swim uh, in my uh, endless pool uh, in very cold water uh, four or five days a week. Uh, And so I'm four years into my recovery. I project that it takes seven to ten years to fully recover. For for me to rewire my brain and my spinal cord and and reach my feet, uh, we know that takes uh, seven to eight years. So I I think it could easily be another three or four years, maybe uh, six years, before I am uh, fully recovered. But, you know, five years ago, uh, the future that I saw was uh, becoming... Uh, because, you know, I was losing my keys, I was losing my phone. I couldn't sit up in a chair anymore. I had to be in bed or fully reclined. I could walk only short distances, two canes. I, uh, it was clear to me that I would soon be unable to work, uh, that my chief of staff would, would say that my mind was, was too affected, that I would eventually be unable to uh, sit up, that I'd be uh, mostly in bed or in a zero-grav chair and that likely I would eventually be in a nursing home. Instead, you know, I'm, I'm uh, riding my bike, I get to ride horses, I uh, am writing books, I'm lecturing, I'm writing grants for new trials. Uh, it's wonderfully exciting. It's wonderfully exciting. And mostly from changing my diet. Now, I, I did do... Uh, additional things uh, with exercise, massage, meditation. Uh, I also did some electrical stim. The most important of all these things is the food. If I screw up the food, I'm in trouble within 24 hours, and it takes about three weeks to recover. Wow. I can miss anything else for a few days. They may not like it. They may feel like, yeah, I sort of wish I was exercising, or yeah, I wish I was, you know, I, I should not have stopped my meditation. Um, but I'm not suffering from horrific pain, exhaustion within 24 hours if I miss that other stuff. If I screw up my diet, I am symptomatic within 24 hours, and it takes me about three weeks to recover. So I am very careful on what I eat. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I figured out traveling. I figured out how to feed my family and... Um, you know, I've learned, and being all of us, once we get well, we uh, think we're completely well, and we like to go back to our old ways. And so, I assure you, I, I tried several times to not follow the diet, and it never worked out well. And you know, I eventually figured out that for me, 100% compliance is the only way to go. Just to be clear for everyone, you have explained that you are a researcher, not a clinician, so you actually do not see individual patients. So if somebody were to... Is that right? I'll back that up. I am a medical doctor. Yes, yes. So I see patients uh, in a traumatic brain injury clinic. I uh, supervise internal medicine residents in their primary care clinics. I am not a neurologist. So I have people from all over the world trying to have me be their neurology doctor, and I say, 
nope, that, that is not possible. I um, only see people with traumatic brain injuries. Uh, I teach primary care to primary care residents, so people could go, uh, and I staff over at a, a, a veterans hospital. And there are just a handful of people who can get into the clinical trial uh, that could participate. What I have elected to do is to reach out to the public and tell people, yep, this is what I did. Talk to your docs about these ideas and see what works for you. There, this is not medical advice. It's only education. I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing my experience and telling people to, you know, uh, read about my work, read about my ideas, talk to your personal doc, and have work with them if you wish to try any of these ideas. To participate in any of your clinical trials, does a person have to be located near your facilities? So it, um, we have a clinical trial for those with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. And at this time, I have many more people on the waiting list than I have slots. So uh, people uh, can call the university and ask to get dumped in our voicemail. Uh, and one of my research assistants will call and we'll explain to them that we have a long waiting list. We have more people on the waiting list that can get in and suggest that the person consider uh, learning more about our, our work through the book uh, and working with their personal physician in terms of what they would like to do. And when you get that particular study underway, which will be obviously in a few months, if not years, with Parkinson's, we'll certainly recruit a number of people to participate in your trials oh, just yeah. through the program. Uh, that will, be, I can assure you, be easy to do. Yes. You know, I, I, I'm hopeful that uh, some of my neurology colleagues uh, here at the university have been watching uh, with considerable interest uh, and uh, uh, a great deal of excitement what they see us reporting you know, at, the, at uh, the College of Medicine Research Day. We had a number of folks talking uh, to us about what we've done. Uh, and so I am talking to some neurology researchers about our intervention. So that, there, that may be coming. We'll see. That would be very exciting indeed. A number of people listening to this show would have been newly diagnosed with the symptoms of Parkinson's just over the last several weeks. What would you want to say to them now? So, uh, several things. Um, from my read of the literature, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of articles now that link uh, pesticide exposure, heavy metal exposure, solvent exposure, and a higher risk of Parkinson's. I speculate that uh, people with Parkinson's likely have less effective vitamin B metabolism, uh, sulfur metabolism, so it's harder for them to eliminate toxins. So uh, I would go organic, uh, go as green as they can in their living, clean up the diet, um, I'd encourage them to think about uh, investigating my work, look, uh, look for my book, uh, and then read it, think deeply about all those things I talk about, 
and then have a conversation with your family about uh, what you've learned, uh, talk with your doc, and say, okay, so this sounds sort of interesting. Uh, what could I safely try? And if I decide to do this, what kinds of monitoring do you need to do? Uh, it, would it interfere with any of my drugs? And what kind of lab monitoring would be required if I decide that you know the Walls diet is for me and my family? Uh, I will also make the observation that if uh, a family decides to implement some of these concepts, it is always better to view this a family decision. A family decision uh, that it is not realistic to think that you can do one person can follow this diet and uh, no one else in the family uh, has to change uh, how they eat. It's the whole family that uh, needs to participate if you're going to be successful. Dr. Terry Walls, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of the many listeners of this show for taking the time to be on the show today. You're welcome. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. I want to make an additional plea to those of you who are listening to this show to consider making a contribution to the Walls Foundation. In my follow-up discussions with Dr. Walls, she is open and interested and eager to do a study that would look at the effects of nutrition on individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. I know that out of the programs that I have aired over the last three years, there have been over 70,000 listens, and that means that I know that some individuals listening to this show have the means to support her research program. I'm a researcher. I quit my position as a professor at the University of Kentucky because I, quite frankly, was frustrated by the myopic and, in my view, little-minded approach to science. The design that she described in this interview in my book of ideas is eloquent. She is going to make a difference, and I'd like for her to make a difference for persons who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. Given the design, which is multifaceted, I can also tell you that the chance that any proposal to do a study that is sent to any foundation or any government entity is not going to be received eagerly. The reality is that her work needs to be supported by us, by me, by you, by everyone who's listening to this show, by everyone who is part and parcel to the Parkinson's Recovery Community. She set up a vehicle, a mechanism to make this happen, the Walls Foundation. Those of you who can write a check for $25,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 or $200,000, I encourage you to approach her directly and entice her interest in doing a study for Parkinson's. She's already started conversations with persons who are medical doctors and who have an expertise and interest in Parkinson's, so I think the possibility of a study is very likely. 
I told her that I'd be able to get participants in her study. All we need to do is to be able to get it funded. The mechanism is there, but I want to say again, we're not going to be able to wait and expect somebody else can fund this. Once she has committed to doing the study, and that would probably take a commitment from somebody for twenty-five dollars or $50,000, we can set it up and then we can solicit donations from everyone, donations in the amount of $5 or $10 or as much as 1000 or five or 10000 That's what's going to make this particular research happen. That's what's going to turn our knowledge about Parkinson's around. If there's anything I've learned over the last six years of researching all about Parkinson's, it is that it is a multifaceted condition and that the people who are reversing their symptoms are doing it using multiple approaches, doing many different kinds of things. That's very consistent with what she has discovered in her own research. If you'd like to be able to meet some of the individuals who have reversed their symptoms, come to the Parkinson's Recovery Summit in Cincinnati, Ohio, June 22nd and 23rd. There you'll get the real story, the true scoop about what people have been able to do to become symptom-free. On my radio show next week, I have an individual who is remarkable in all respects. Nancy Tingey is an individual who has basically developed single-handedly a painting for Parkinson's program in Australia. Now, some of you may be thinking, I'm not interested in that. I've never been able to paint. I can't paint. Forget that. I'm not listening to that show. I want to basically extend an invitation to you to reconsider that instant reaction. From what I learned from her in recording this show just over the last several days, I'm here to tell you that there's the possibility that even if you have never taken a paintbrush and done any painting whatsoever in your life, that doing this activity may open up incredible creativity and have a profound impact on your symptoms. It sounds like it wouldn't do very much, but I'm here to tell you it does more than you could ever believe. So next week, Wednesday, 3 p.m., you'll hear a show with Nancy Tenge on Painting with Parkinson's. I'm Robert Rogers, your host, and this is Parkinson's Recovery, the place where we provide information, support, and resources to any individual who currently experiences the neurological symptoms associated with Parkinson's and their family members. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this program today, that you are indeed on the road to recovery. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Good day.